Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. That was The Great Decline from Johnny Hickman in addition to our usual opening song, I Gotta Write. And this is our May 14th, 2009 edition of the show, 5.07 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Wonderful sunny day. And uh, before we get into things, a couple quick reminders. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on MySpace. That's myspace.com slash outtherabbithole. Murder, Spies, and Voting Lies, the Clint Curtis story, is the recently released documentary film that digs deeper into the funny results of the 2000 and 2004 presidential elections. It uncovers a computer programmer who claims that Congressman Tom Feeney, Republican of Florida, asked him to create vote-rigging software. Along the way, a man with intimate knowledge of the affairs ends up dead. This is a frightening story that you need to know. Regular listeners to this show are well aware of the electoral fraud in this country. What you may not be aware of is that murders may be taking place to protect the guilty. We're going to be breaking this all down today with our special guest, director and producer of Murder, Spies, and Voting Lies, Patty Sheriff, and featured investigative journalist and blogger, Brad Friedman. Patty and Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Great to be here. All right. It's great to have both of you. And uh, right off, uh, let's get out, uh, give out some information on uh, uh, your websites uh, for... Uh, the film, VotingLies.com? Is yes, that, yeah. VotingLies.com. So if anybody wants to uh, find out about showings and how to purchase a DVD copy, that can all be found there at VotingLies.com? Yeah, and it's, it's also uh, available on Netflix very soon. So put it in your queue. Okay, <laughs> all right. Great, great. Voting Lies. Uh, murder, Spies, and Voting Lies. Okay, and uh, Murder, Spies, and Voting Lies, the Clint Curtis story. And the website is just VotingLies.com? Yes, yep. I didn't want to tax anyone's typing. <laughs> okay. And, yeah, and Brad, I've got to also mention your page right off. Bradblog.com is the number one election integrity site. Every time over the last few years when something fishy was going on with our electoral system and the corporate media were, as usual, ignoring it, I could almost invariably go to bradblog.com and you'd have it researched and reported on so thanks for that well uh thank you for your kind words yeah it's it's um it's irritating isn't it wouldn't it be nicer to go to oh i don't know newyorktimes.com or washingtonpost.com or newsweek so you didn't have to go to a to just a, a friendly citizen blogger to get information about what's going on with our electoral system yeah, it would be your, your little community radio station here. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's just, it's uh, it's been maddening, right? And I've uh, been so appreciative of the few people who are really doing the work. And, and like I said, every time something would come up and I'd say, wait, I, I know this happened. I saw something weird. It, it just doesn't quite add up. It's not in the L.A. Times, New York Times. I'm not catching it on the network news. Oh, wait a minute. Brad Blog, 
and I go there and, and you'd have it, you know. Yeah. And so, you really, I, I know this is a, a labor of love, and you've put a lot into this, and, uh, and just sort of like a citizen duty type of thing. And uh, again, much appreciated. So, thank you, sir. Appreciate I second that. that. Totally. <laughs> and the film is this is we got to get into this. And so um, let's um, let's talk, Patty, first about, you know, what um, happened? Wh- wh- what was the deal with, uh, um, you know, how did this story and Brad's work come to your attention and inspire you to want to do this? Yeah, film? Um, I went to a film festival, another film I made, Citizen Stan, and it, this was in Park City, Utah. And it was the Freedom Cinema Festival kind of runs parallel to Sundance with a little more conscience of uh, political stuff going on. And um, Brad had brought Clint there. It was the first time they'd met each other. And he had been investigating Clint's story. And so they had a panel. And um, I, I, it made sense to me. You know, it was shocking. But... The reason I, I could believe it is I, I work in the news. I'm a, I'm a sound tech for the news, network news. And so I, I do some, I'm at some of these investigative reporting things. And a woman the year before had hired me to um, talk to the printers of the Palm Beach ballot. And they were very up in arms. And this was in 2003. They were telling us the story of how they were called in the middle of the night to print the ballot off template. They were using paper they never used before that was thin and pulpy. Someone had come in and adjusted the cuts so you could shake the thing and the chads were falling out. And after the big brouhaha, they were told to hide that paper, don't let reporters see that paper. So she was unable to get this story out. She was trying to get it on 60 Minutes. And, um, and as the years went by, I almost felt like an accomplice in the, the secrecy of it. So I know that a lot of news does not get out to the public. And so I was, I was and plus Clint just seemed like a very reasonable guy to me. We, we um, had dinner afterwards and, uh, you know, hung out, and, and I tried to put him in touch with people I know in the news media. And they would all kind of go forward trying to investigate, but they would back off. They were afraid of his story. It was hard to prove, and it was complicated. And that's the only reason I made this film is because no one would no one would report on it except for Brad. And um, there you have it. Yeah, and so before we get into who Clint Curtis is and what that's all about, uh, yeah, Brad, could you talk a little bit about uh, why you started Brad Blog, what was going on with you at that time? Well, I was certainly not uh, uh, intending on becoming an an investigative journalist, frankly. I had just finished up with another project I've been working on for about five years, and it was a project where I was writing uh, a a great amount very regularly, took a nice break, enjoyed that, and uh, then started, you know, getting itchy to do something again. And my girlfriend at the time said, well, maybe you should start a blog and after I figured out what the hell a blog was back then, this was uh, early 2004, I started up uh, the Brad blog. And it was originally called Brad blog because I needed a place to install it on my uh, computer at the time. So I put it in a directory called Brad blog, figured I'd come up with a name later, never did, because I got uh, stuck with this pretty quickly. Uh, because once I started, you know, just really doing personal things on the blog and so forth, but they were political, 
uh, of a sort. And then I started seeing things, started noticing things uh, that weren't being reported by the uh, corporate media that I started asking questions about, and I started making phone calls and looking into and reporting and actually doing some of the original reporting that has, uh, by and large, become just so absent across our uh, corporate uh, mainstream media. And it began to get... Uh, to get eyeballs, and people were taking notice of uh, the things that I had been uncovering. And this was prior to the 2004 uh, election and certainly prior to the Clint Curtis story. Uh, but, you know, was picking up on things that the rest of the media weren't. And then subsequently, uh, after I had reported on some of these things, some of the media was picking up on, uh, on these things, AP and Washington Post. And they would take reports uh, that I had done and sort of forward uh, advance the story a little bit and ask questions uh, to folks in the White House who might not otherwise be willing to talk to me. They were willing to talk to the Washington Post. And, and so uh, that's sort of how I began and uh, got dragged into this uh, nightmare and haven't gotten out since. Well, and, and uh, I'm glad you're still there. I, I wish there was no need for this and that we, we would, wow, they'd all be covering this and we'd have investigations all the way around and people would be prosecuted and we'd have our electoral system back. And mm-hmm. we don't quite, so it, it's it's great that we're working on this still. And I, I'd like to, it's great to all know the background of how uh, you all got started in this. So, um those of us who've been following this know that there was something foul going on in the 2000, 2002, 2004, and 2006 elections. And we have a pretty good idea how they've done a lot of this vote rigging, but not necessarily something we could conclusively nail down in, in a court of law. It seems, though, that with Clint Curtis, we have something that, that might be able to hold up in that way. So, uh, yeah, let's just start. Who, who is Clint Curtis? What's his story? Either one of you wants to start with that. Um, he was a computer programmer in Florida who worked at a company called Yang Enterprises, and uh, their chief counsel and, um, was, was Tom Feeney. And Tom Feeney would also feed them contracts, and uh, he was also the Speaker of the House of Florida, which is, you know, he had a lot of hats. And um, so Clint was asked one day in one of these meetings, where he often sat in on these meetings as a tech consultant, like, if, if, can we do this contract? And he'd say, yeah, sure, we can do that or not. And this particular time, Tom Feeney said he needed this vote-rigging software, and he couched it in the terms of that they were protecting themselves from a Democratic, uh, uh, from the Democrats doing this. And uh, so Clint made the software and handed it into Mrs. Yang with all of the um, precautionary tale of how this should never be used and how you could find it in the software. And Mrs. Yang said to him, we have to hide it. This is for controlling the vote in South Florida. And that's when Clint realized he was in a little over his head. And shortly after that, he left the company and started to work at the Florida Department of Transportation, which was one of Yang's clients. So uh, he had a big, a lot of problems after that, um, you know, just being harassed. And um, so I 
he wrote a book about what happened, and he came forward after the 2004 election, and that's how he met Brad, because he wanted his story told. Yeah, I'll add that uh, he was also, we should add, a Republican himself, a lifelong Republican, when he was... Uh, uh, allegedly asked by uh, uh, Tom Feeney, who had yet to go to Congress, by the way. Uh, he, he In uh, 2002, he ended up going to the U.S. Congress, and I'm delighted to say that Tom Feeney uh, lost his, uh, his uh, run in 2008, so now he is a former congressman, still being investigated by the FBI in the Jack Abramoff affair. But, uh, it, yeah, at the time, uh, he had asked uh, Clint uh, for some very specific things uh, in this software that, uh, as Patty said, was supposedly to keep those uh, rascally Democrats from stealing elections on touchscreen voting systems. And he was you know, very specific about the type of uh, program this should be, and that the sticking point really was when he said that it should be written in such a way that it's hidden, even if someone examines the source code for these voting systems. And when Clint did turn in, uh, the, and it was really just a demo of how it could be done very, very easily in about 24 lines of code, he told uh, his boss, Mrs. Yang, the CEO of the company, that, well, you know, here's the program. It does everything you ask for, except I can't hide it in the source code. If anybody looks at that source code, they will find uh, they will find this hack or this, this uh, the, the way we've uh, rigged the code to flip an election. And, well, that's when uh, things just began to fall apart because she said uh, it's got to be hidden because, as Patty said, she told him it was to be used to flip the vote in South Florida. In any case, time went on. Uh, Clint didn't think too much of it because he thought, well, if anything like this was ever used in an electronic voting system, surely it would be discovered because it was plain as day inside the source code. Little did he know until some years later, actually in the run-up to the 2004 election, when he says he saw a story on, I believe it was CNN, where they talked about the fact that the source code for all of the voting systems that we now use across the country, uh, which are almost all electronic, uh, particularly since 2000, that all of the source code is kept as a proprietary trade secret of the voting machine companies. Even the uh, election officials who use that software, who use those voting systems, are not allowed to look at the source code. Well, that's when he realized that, wait a minute, something's up here. This doesn't make a lot of sense. And remember, Tom Feeney at the time... Uh, when he was the general counsel and registered lobbyist for this company. He was, he was also the Speaker of the House of Florida, but he was pretty much the second most powerful man in Florida at the time behind Jeb Bush, who was at that time the governor. Feeney was very close to him as well back in 1998. Feeney ran as uh, Jeb Bush's lieutenant governor. So they were very close. Feeney was very close to, to, to Jeb and to the Bushes, uh, all of which began to smell worse and worse the more I uh, began to learn about Clint's story. Wow. So if I could recap this a little bit, it's that uh, they, uh, he, when Clint Curtis was working for Yang Enterprises, Tom Feeney, who was the Florida Speaker of the House at the time, came and wanted, requested that they make this program th to rig 
elections and Clint Curtis at the time believed, well, he was being having this presented to him as, well, we think the Democrats might be trying to do this, so we want to just know how it works to sort of prevent against it kind of thing. And he kind of created this program, and then later he realized, because they were saying, no, we got to keep this secret, that it was actually going to be used to try to rig an election. And uh, so he was disgusted and, time, and left. I have to interject here. They, they actually didn't have touchscreen machines in 2000. They did, however, have um, uh, the tabulators, which tabulate electronically and, and are, you know, could also be hacked this way. Well, actually, let, let me uh, clarify that even a little bit further. When, when uh, Patty says tabulator, she means, for example, the optical scan tabulators where you have a paper ballot and it's uh, uh, run through a computer, scanned, and that uh, the software that Clint made could have been used for an op-scan tabulator. And, in fact, back in 2000, uh, just uh, after when this uh, meeting allegedly took place, according to Clint Curtis, uh, a, a Diebold voting machine tabulator in Volusia County, in fact, uh, tallied negative 16,022 votes for Al Gore. That was down in uh, in Volusia County, negative 16,022 votes, which should never happen on a voting system. Mm -hmm. And that uh, has never been explained to this day. That negative amount is what led to, originally to Al Gore's uh, concession, if you remember, on election night in 2000. Yeah. And once they discovered that negative number and restored those votes, that subsequently led to his un, his famous unconcession uh, <laughs> a few hours later. But the deed at that point had been done, and when uh, Bush went to the Supreme Court to challenge the election in Florida, one of the arguments they made was that uh, our, uh, the, our client, uh, George Bush, would be irreparably harmed since the media had already announced him as being the winner on election night. But one other point I also wanted to clarify. Uh, in fact, there were touchscreen voting machines in 2000. They weren't yet used in Florida. They were, however, used out here in uh, Riverside County, California. In 2000, uh, the entire county of Riverside used touchscreen voting machines made by Sequoia, and it was the first time touchscreens had been used in a general election countywide. And if we go back to what uh, Patty had said uh, earlier in the show, she referred to this uh, woman who had been working on the story where these ballots, these paper ballots in Florida were not being made improperly, the chads were being misaligned. That was the 2000 election, and the people who made people who made those paper ballots at the time was a company by the name of Sequoia. And later on, that story that Patty had uh, referred to, about six years later, got told uh, on HDNet in a uh, special uh, report by Dan Rather where they had seven whistleblowers from the Sequoia Company talking about how they were forced to use bad paper, that they were forced to misalign the chads, and only for the ballots in Florida and only uh, misalign the chads in the ballots that were going to Palm Beach County, Florida, which was infamous for their problems with the hanging chads and everything else. Sequoia and also, and made also those paper ballots, to, and I'm sorry. I, just that there was a profit motive here also besides uh, the election manipulation 
to sell these machines instead of paper ballots, these companies were planning on making a huge profit. Well, that's right. And you had a very direct tie because it was Sequoia who made those paper ballots. And when the infamous hanging Chad problems and all of that occurred in 2000, it was Sequoia themselves who made out big time because they were good to go. They had already had an election up and running with touchscreen voting systems. And so you begin to connect some of these dots that the uh, corporate media was not connecting. You take what... uh, uh, Clint Curtis had to say, uh, you know, that the, about the meeting with Tom Feeney, and I should add that is an alleged meeting. Feeney uh, claims that it never happens. On the other hand, Clint Curtis uh, filed an affidavit under the penalty of, uh, of, of prison and perjury uh, making these allegations. He also made these allegations under oath before a uh, U.S. House Judiciary Committee hearing on videotape. You can see all of that at bradblog.com. And he also passed a a polygraph test, which Tom Feeney to this day has uh, refused to take in this matter. Uh, Yeah, very uh, telling. And uh, yes, uh, you can uh, find that again at bradblog.com. And you can also go to uh, votinglies.com to find out more about the film we're talking about, Murder, Spies, and Voting Lies, the Clint Curtis story. This is Robert Larson out the rabbit hole, KUCI in Irvine. My special guests today are Patty Sheriff. She is the director of Murder, Spies, and Voting Lies, and Brad Friedman in his excellent election integrity site, bradblog.com. And so uh, let's get back to the actual uh, Clint Curtis story. So Clint uh, became a whistleblower uh, and uh, left uh, Yang and uh, was with the Florida Department of Transportation, started having some issues going on there. And then there's a a character, Ray Lemmy, who comes into the story. Uh, Can one of you take it from there? Go ahead, Patty. um, He... he well, when he went there, um, he, his boss was Mavis George Alice, his immediate supervisor, and um, he, he explained to her what had been going on over at Yang, and also he noticed since he was working in the same department where Yang was billing for their services, that they had been overbilling, for, and they were billing even for a couple days since he left them and went to Florida Department of Transportation. So armed with this information... And they went to the, invest, the um, inspector general's office, and Raymond Lemmy was the investigator, and um, spilled the beans on all this. And immediately, the investigation was suppressed from a, from the higher ups. They told Lemmy to go after Mavis and uh, to not believe everything that they were saying and to not investigate. And later. Um, Lemmy, after both of them were fired, Lemmy pursued the investigation on his own. And, uh, Brad, you can maybe take it from there. Well, and, and again, I'll say this is all according to Clint, that uh, the while the report looking into the overbilling and so forth that uh, Yang was doing, that report, by the way, eventually came out and showed that, in fact, they had been overbilling uh, the state of Florida by hundreds of thousands of dollars. But on uh, the vote rigging front, that was an area where uh, Clint says that Re- uh, Lemmy had been continuing on his own. And after Clint, who had been fired by the Florida Department of uh, Transportation, both him and Mavis Georgialis, on the same day, 
uh, both uh, you know not long after their whistleblowing on this entire affair, uh, they found themselves without a job. Uh, Clint was working at a 99 cent store, and he says in the uh, summer, it was uh, June of uh, 2003, if I have my dates correct here, it's been a while, uh, but in June of 2003, Ray Lemmy came into that 99 cent store, had some more questions for him. Uh, and started coming in in January. Was it January? Well, I'm yeah. moving forward to the last time that uh, they saw each other. Uh, according to Clint, he had asked him some more questions and had mentioned that, uh, well, keep your ears open because uh, his report is about to come out and he's going to be very happy with it uh, because he indicated that this quote goes all the way to the top. Now, what the top was at the time, we don't know. Was it the top of uh, Yang, Florida Department of Transportation? Was it Tom Feeney? Was it Jeb Bush? Was it George Bush? We don't know. Uh, but we do know that uh, that report never came out because two weeks later, Ray Lemmy was found dead in a Valdosta, Georgia motel room uh, and of an apparent suicide at uh, is the way that the police reported it at the time. Valdosta, Georgia is uh, sort of a border town. It's not far uh, over the uh, Florida border. They were all working out of Tallahassee, uh, Clint and uh, Ray Lemmy, and it's about an hour drive or so uh, from Tallahassee, uh, Valdosta, and all of a sudden uh, and, Ray and Lemmy... In Georgia, they do not investigate, uh, they don't do an autopsy in a suicide, whereas in Florida an automatic autopsy would have occurred. Right. Adding to just this, this puzzle, because there are questions about uh, the, the, the crime scene or the scene where he died, whatever you want to call it, uh, that don't make sense. And uh, there was not a proper uh, medical examination of Ray Lemmy. And furthermore, uh, something that is really odd in this story is that the police report on Ray Lemmy's death says that they took photographs of the scene, uh, but that due to a failure in the camera's flash memory chips, there would be no photographs available with the report. And that's the way it stood for quite some time until uh, I broke the story over at bradblog.com. This brought a lot of uh, interest in the Ray Lemmy story, and the Valdosta Police Department thereafter was forced to reopen the investigation for a short time. And in because fact, you released the photographs. And, and in fact, we're, we're forced to go back and look at those uh, camera chips again, I suppose, because suddenly those photographs. Uh, of the scene were made available, and guess what? They didn't match the, the crime scene. Uh, the, they didn't match the police report description of what the uh, scene should have looked like. So we have a, a suspicious situation. We have uh, Ray Lemmy, who has some inside information that could possibly criminally um, uh, in, indict uh, people high up within the government, and as information that is uh, very much a threat to people who may have actually been rigging elections. And uh, he ends up dead, and it, we're told it's a suicide, but it, it, it's very convenient for if there are people who are engaging in this criminal activity, it's very convenient that he died. It's very convenient that if he did, in fact, commit suicide, very convenient that he did it in Georgia where they don't do an autopsy. So this all becomes highly suspicious, and we don't have any proof but uh, 
it's very suspicious. That, yeah. There, there's a lot to be suspicious about, which is why uh, when I originally broke this story back in early December of 2004, and this was just you know days after that uh, general election, which was much disputed in Ohio, it was before the uh, election had actually been certified by the Electoral College, it brought a great deal of attention to just what the hell was going on here. When I, when I broke it, frankly, what I thought was, well, as soon as I uh, tell this story for the first time, uh, at the blog, it's going to be picked up by Newsweek, by Time, by CNN, by 60 Minutes, whoever it is, and they're going to be able to ask some questions and and uh, you know move the ball forward. So it was quite amazing, frankly, when by and large they never did. And uh, you know, and 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 I have of course been reporting it uh, since in these uh, ensuing what are we now four or five years. Uh, but as far as the big guns, so to speak, uh, you know, t- uh, Newsweek, 60 Minutes, CNN, and so forth, they were always ter- terribly frightened, <coughs> excuse me, terribly frightened to jump into this uh, particular story. Yeah, it's it's very sad that that is the case. And uh, this is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. I'm Robert Larson speaking today with Brad Friedman and Patty Sheriff. Patty is the uh, director and uh, producer of Murder, Spies, and Voting Lies, the Clint Curtis story. And Brad Friedman, investigative journalist and uh, blogger featured in the film. And he also uh, does the uh, site bradblog.com. And uh, so it's... Yeah, I have to say that we hear this thing about Ray Lemmy, and uh, he dies suspiciously, very conveniently, for people who uh, may be trying to cover up uh, election uh, fraud. And uh, then this, I think, happened shortly after the film was finished. We have this case of uh, Michael Connell, who also dies very conveniently for uh, if people were involved in rigging elections in Ohio. And, uh, Patty, do you remember when you first heard about the, the Michael Connell story, how, how you, you felt about that in relation well, to this um, here? When I first heard about it, it was E Pluribus um, noticed e pluribus that media. the web, I mean, that the servers for the state of Ohio on the night of the election in 2004 moved to servers in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so they put that word out there and just seems so strange and then we found out that Mike Connell owned those servers through company Smart Tech and GovTech. I, I um, these same servers housed the uh, Republican National Committee websites, the George Bush uh, election websites, um, and also all of the White House emails that uh, were went missing, Carl Rove's famous uh, personal emails, four years of which went missing. And um, the same guy is so interesting. He's Carl Rove's IT guru, and he set up, he had all kinds of contracts. I think in 2000 he, he was paid about $800,000 by the, by the uh, election committee. And uh, by the time 2006, he, he was the contractor installing the firewalls in the White House I mean, in the uh, Congressional Intelligence Committee and the Judiciary Committee. I mean, this guy was so well electronically connected 
that it's scary. And um, I, I, right the day before the 2008 election, he was called into a deposition by the lawyers featured in our movie. And I don't think that hurt the uh, chances of Obama winning. You might want to elaborate on uh, on this, Brad. Well, yeah, I, he was he was forced to testify. He was he was uh, fighting off that, and and it was to discuss what exactly how the architecture for the uh, election night reporting system computers in 2004, where he had been contracted by J. Kenneth Blackwell to run that system, it was to discuss how exactly those systems worked. And there was reason to believe at the time that he was um, sort of getting, uh, well, what's the, what's the word here, um, he was getting shaky about what had happened in 2004 and whether there had been fraud in Ohio and that he might have been willing at that time uh, to talk. And once the news broke, and it, and it broke via a colleague of his, uh, a computer uh, security expert, also a Republican uh, who had worked with him, who said that uh, he believes Mike Connell is willing to talk about what happened in 2004, well, then we started getting news of threats being made by Karl Rove uh, to Mike Connell that were, you know, essentially were saying, you better take the fall for what happened in 2004, not blame us, or we're going to come after you and come after your wife. Well, that was the intervening time when he was uh, called to testify, so he began fighting this off. A federal judge compelled him to testify the day before the 2008 election, and some folks think that uh, that was a message sort of sent out to say, you know, there will be accountability if you mess with this uh, with this election again. That was the day before the 2004 election uh, in November. I'm sorry, 2008 election in November. Uh, about one month later, uh, after his uh, testimony, and he was to be called again for some more testimony by those attorneys. Uh, about a month later, on the way home for a Christmas party from D.C. back to Ohio, where he lived, uh, Mike Connell, who was uh, an expert pilot for years, uh, crashed in his single-engine uh, Saratoga, Piper Saratoga plane in a uh, Ohio suburb. He was flying alone. He was flying home that night for a Christmas party for his company. And he died, and potentially whatever happened in 2004 may have died with him. So, yeah, you know, it may have just been an accident, but again, it's just awfully damn convenient for uh, Carl Rove and the gang, who uh, seem to be um, behind all this stuff where elections have funny results. And uh, so what I think I'm hearing you say both of you, and what I kind of have gotten a little bit from Cliff Arnbeck, too, uh, we had him on the show, and he's one of the lawyers involved in this case we were just talking about with uh, Michael Connell, where he was supposed to testify. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm getting from all three of you is that uh, the system was in place to rig elections in, in, whereby votes could be skimmed or elections sort of flipped, and these kinds of things were going on, and we saw it, and um, 2002, 2004, 2006, and uh, so, but the 2008 elections seemed relatively clean, and that it may be because it, they knew about Michael Connell, and he was being called in, and basically people knew about it, whoever was behind this sort of 
called it off. Is that the speculation? Well, you know, uh, Patty and, and Cliff, they, uh, I'll let them uh, both speak for themselves, of course, but uh, I, I, it's, my, it's my feeling that they may be more certain about vote rigging here than necessarily I am. While I may have suspicions, all I can do is report what it is that I know and what I don't know. And what I do know in all of these cases, whether it's uh, 2004, 2006, 2008, what has happened is our election system has become so privatized and so secretized, if you will, to coin a, to coin a word, that uh, these questions will continue to come up. And, in fact, they did come up in 2008 as well. Uh, even with the success of the Democrats, there are still questions all over the country about various election results. Were they accurate? And just how difficult it is for the citizens to ever determine uh, if they are accurate, which is why you need to get the private companies, the private vendors, the secret software out out of the system 100% so that the citizens can oversee their own elections and they can have the self-governance that we are, you know, promised to have in the United States Constitution. When you get away from that, then you begin to get into all of these questions that we're, uh, that we're talking about that I've been reporting on for years at Bradblog because you simply can't know. And that's a real problem, whether these elections, frankly, were rigged or not, I would suggest the damage is done in that there are questions about the legitimacy of our democracy, and that alone is a great threat to our system and to our democracy, whether or not these elections were rigged. And what would you add to that, Patty? Well, just that, um, you know, like the, the Help America Vote Act, uh, which passed in 2002, and part of the impact, the, uh, the wind in their sails was this Palm Beach ballot fiasco that was manufactured, was that they, Abramoff was involved in this, and the author of the bill, Bob May, made sure that there was going to be no requirement of a paper trail in these machines, and they awarded much money to states purchasing these machines and uh, there's another guy in our movie, um, Harry Hursty, a computer ex- security expert, who uncovers how ridiculously um, philistine these machines are and that they, they can be hacked in a way that um, an old bootloader hack that you, that you can hide stuff. You'll never find it in the software. And um, it, it just, you know, it's mind-boggling to me, the whole thing. So we have to get our election uh, system back. That is, that's paramount. So we, I think we all agree that we need to go back to paper ballots, hand-counted in, in an uh, open, transparent way. We can all agree on that. Yeah. Well, I think we need to go back to something that is transparent uh, in, in every measure. And if that means hand-counting at the precincts, well, that's uh, that's fine by me because when you look at all of these all of these uh, dots, if you will, and you connect them, you sort of come to an inescapable conclusion. Whether that conclusion is correct or not, I, you know, I can't tell you. But it sure doesn't look good. It looks like people are gaming elections, and I would think that even those people uh, who are accused of gaming elections, if in fact they aren't, I would think they too would be in favor of restoring 
transparency to the system, getting rid of the secret software so that these questions can't come up time and time and time again because I guarantee you they're going to. And, you know, until the system is cleaned up and we get the uh, private companies and the secret software out of our public elections. Well, I agree, agree with that. Yes, yes. Uh, we're speaking today about the uh, documentary film Murder, Spies, and Voting Lies, the Clint Curtis story, and uh, uh, Brad Friedman there uh, from Brad Blog, and he's a featured uh, investigative journalist in the movie, and uh, Patty Sheriff, the uh, director and uh, producer. Uh, Patty, I, like, I really like the, the look and the style and the sort of pacing of how you did all this. W- was there something you were kind of going for with that? Uh, you know... <laughs> We, we ended up shooting this, uh, the, the primary interview between Brad and Clint in Nashville at like 2 or 3 in the morning where there was going to be a conference about election integrity. And um, it took on a, a film noir kind of look, mainly because we were in this hotel room that looked like a bordello, and so we <laughs> had to make it look dark, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so it really, uh, it really did add to the uh, flavor, and, and um, my husband is the shooter in the, uh, of the film, the director of photography, and, uh, you know, he's a very talented guy, he's done network news his whole life, I mean, his whole working life, and he, and, uh, you know, he, he did some beautiful photography in this film. Yeah, I really do like it. It's it's uh, just it's a, it's a great thing to watch. I mean, it's disturbing, but it's just well done the way it's presented. And there's a there's a really clever uh, graphic on the uh, DVD cover that uh, morphs the state of Florida with a smoking handgun. Uh, who came up with that? Uh, that was my friend. Um, um, I he my oh, you're in my trouble. Mind. He did the cover <laughs> art, and you can't even remember his name. Robert Martin. There you go. Robert Martin. <laughs> we'll, we'll say that name a couple times. Robert Martin. Uh, Robert Martin. Great, great work. Now, it's, it's really clever because it really, uh, you know, a good graphic does that. It, it brings a few different ideas together. And, Patty, is, is he also the one who came up with the, uh, with the great tagline that you use in 2000, One Man that Found was Himself? That Oh, that was his wife. In two, yeah, the tagline that she uses that I love uh, is, uh, in 2000, one man found himself on the wrong end of a smoking gun. Uh, and it's really apt because, you know, what Clint has been through over these past uh, many years now since he's been trying and trying to tell this story, uh, he has, as a matter of fact, the day that I br- broke the story back in uh, December 4th, 2004, uh, we had helped to get him up to D.C. to meet with uh, John Conyers and folks on the House Judiciary Committee to tell the story on the same day that I was breaking it. And that was, uh, as the story broke, a few hours later, he called me from D.C. that he had heard from his uh, his longtime uh, girlfriend down there who was back down in Florida to say that their dog, Champ, had been shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of folks, that again, that we're dealing with. Uh, and, you know, Clinton has had various incidents over the years uh, where George Hell felt like someone was trying to take his life, and yet he persisted, felt it was the right thing to do. And if you ever meet this guy, it comes across uh, certainly in Patty's film, uh, the type of guy that, that Clint Curtis is and the integrity that he has, that he was willing uh, to keep 
trying everything he could to get this story out, to tell this story under extraordinary, against extraordinary odds. And at a time, if you remember back in, in 2004, 2005, it was an incredible time in this country, incredibly uh, repressive when, you know, you did not speak poorly about your president, George W. Bush, or you, know, or you were un-American, your life would be in danger, so on and so forth. So the fact that he and, persisted and the, under those odds was, was rather extraordinary. Yeah. And the thing about, you know, it's he said, she said kind of thing, was this meeting there, whatever. I think when you put Clint in a big close-up and you watch him throughout, if you can decide yourself, do you feel like he's telling the truth? And I think he comes across pretty truthfully. Uh, well, yeah, and, it, you know, I was having a senior moment. It, Robert is Tom's son, who was my kid's friend at the time, and uh, Tom, it's Tom Martin and his wife Marie Money Smith. They're very, you know, they were very helpful to, uh, you know, um, get. You're in trouble with the Martin is, Patty. Don't try and get yeah. out of it now. Tom, Tom Martin. Okay, yeah, great. Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in trouble. For great that. stuff. He's responsible for that really cool graphic. The the uh, the smoking gun in the state of Florida. So uh, yeah, it, it comes through very clear in the film. Uh, this thing about Clint Curtis's character. Uh, I mean, you know, here's a guy who's had his career as a computer programmer destroyed. I mean, he's working at a at a dollar store stocking shelves, and, and he's uh, you know had this close associate uh, working with him on trying to bring this truth out. This person's apparently murdered. And, uh, you know, in spite of all this, uh, Curtis seems like an upbeat guy. And, and it seems like the, that kind of energy from somebody who's just gotten to that point where, you know what, it's the truth that matters. And I am just feeling good about being on that path of righteousness. And, it, and is, is that am I getting that right about him? Yeah, I, yeah I, and I'm glad that comes across in the film because, yeah, I, I, I've spent hours and hours and hours, obviously, with him uh, before the story ever broke and then uh, certainly after it. And since then, I've interviewed him time and time again. I keep trying to trick him and catch him in a lie. I have so far been unable to do so. That, despite the fact that Tom Feeney and his buddies down there all, you know, call uh, Clint Curtis, oh, he's a crazy man, he's a liar. So far, I have not been able to catch him in a lie. And uh, where there are parts of his stories that are still not uh, corroborated, because there was only a few people in that room uh, at the time that this incident happened, I would say that 85, well, actually 90, 95% of his story has been corroborated. Over the years, uh, you know, we haven't even gotten into the uh, the folks who were working at Yang. These uh, that that he alleged were uh, Chinese spies, who then were later uh, actually convicted, had uh, confessed, pled guilty on charges uh, related to shipping uh, anti Hellfire tank uh, chip, uh, Hellfire anti missile chip. Thank you <laughs> to China. Uh, he, you know, one of these guys uh, pled guilty to that. So all of these stories have been corroborated uh, by piece your by piece. Extremely by piece. excellent reporting. 
Uh, well, thanks. It's been difficult to keep up with it over the years. But, you know, if you ask me, if you get to a point where, well, who are you going to believe at this point? Clint Curtis, the guy who signed an affidavit, the guy who passed the lie detector test, the guy who's gone uh, public on videotape with his story, swore it before Congress, uh, who's had uh, 85, 90, 95 percent of the story uh, independently corroborated, or Tom Feeney, who says, oh, it's all imagination, Clint Curtis is crazy, none of it ever happened, but no, I'm not going to take a lie detector test. Uh, and the other two people, by the way, in that room also refused to speak about what happened in that room on the record. If you got to pick a side, at this point, i got to pick Clint Curtis. Now, my phone line is always open to Tom Feeney or Mrs. Yang uh, or her executive assistant, assistant who was in that room at that time. If they would like to tell a different story, I'd love to hear it. I'm sure Patty would love to uh, update the film uh, for 2010. Frankly, since Mike Connell has died, it probably needs an update anyway. But, uh, you know, you got to go with a guy like Clint, who then, by the way, in further hopes of uh, trying to get his story out, eventually became a Democrat so that he could run against Tom Feeney down in the 24th District in the state of Florida. He ran against him in uh, 2006 and, <coughs> excuse me, and lost uh, because the Democratic Party refused to back him. And then in 2008, he ran again, and this time the Democratic Party found someone to run against Clint in the, uh, in the primary, and they put a whole lot of money into her campaign, so he was defeated there. Uh, the good news in the end, though, is that uh, she ended up defeating uh, Tom Feeney, at least. So he's out of office, and he can now uh, spend time preparing his legal defense. Okay. Well, with that, we're, I guess we just got about uh, got to close out here because we're just about out of time. Uh, the film, Murder Spies in Voting Lies, the Clint Curtis story, uh, director and producer Patty Sheriff. Thanks for being with us, Patty. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. And uh, featured investigative journalist and blogger Brad Friedman, bradblog.com. Brad, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, and I, hopefully people will go to votinglines.com. You can check out a, uh, a teaser, a preview of the film. It's terrific. Buy it. You will help support folks like Patty Sheriff so she can make more important uh, investigative documentaries just like this. Okay, well, both of you keep up the great work and really appreciate uh, having you here today. Thanks for having us, Robert. Much Thank appreciated. you. Okay, bye now. All right, okay. yes. Uh, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com and uh, Patty Sheriff, uh, director of Murder, Spies, and Voting Lies, the Clint Curtis, the Clint Curtis story, and uh, votinglies.com. You can find more information there about that. Yes, I am pretty much out of time here. Um, I'll let you know that I'll be back with you next week, as I am every Thursday. And in two weeks... I will have as my special guest uh, Dr. Rick Strassman, and uh, he is a researcher and has an amazing book called Inner Paths to Outer Space, Journeys to Alien Worlds Through Psychedelics and Other Spiritual Technologies. Uh, this is a man who uh, actually got a government uh, grant to uh, do uh, research on the most powerful uh, psychedelic DMT um, fascinating story so that'll be in two weeks and i'll let you know that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the kuci staff or management or the uc board of regents and if you want to give me some feedback on the show i always appreciate that you can email me at rg larson at kuci.org you can also catch me on myspace that's myspace.com slash out the rabbit hole kyle is ready to go with things that are square so stay tuned for that I'll be talking to you next week.
KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Also on the web at KUCI.org.